0: This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow, what a great service this morning, amen? What an amazing worship. How many sense the presence of God in the room? If you don't, you're numb. And uh, you need to probably go to a a nerve doctor or something. But it's good to see your faces. Thank you for coming to... You know, I love church, and I love church even more when you're in the room. Uh, there's nothing like having people in the room. We, we can rewind many, many years, a couple of years back and go, there was just a few of us. It was empty chairs and a camera uh, during COVID. I, I can tell you, I love people in the room. I love it when you come and you, you're open. And, and isn't there just an encouragement that happens in our worship when you hear someone else singing? right, and and there's there's applause or whatever it might be, it inspires you, and uh, Jesse, I do agree, we have the best worship team in in the state, and uh, keep your hands off of them, anyone who's watching online, we're not giving them away, they're ours, we own them, no, God owns them and we ask him to keep them here, amen, Uh, we're finishing up today, today is 21, everyone say 21, everyone, this is 21 days of fasting, Today is our final day of our 21 day fast, and uh, if you are, have you have you've joined us in any way, shape, or form? Thank you. We believe that God has done some amazing, miraculous things. I've already been hearing some testimonies come back, and we want to celebrate the wins. So, if if you have encountered God, if there's been a, a, a revelation, if there's been an answer to prayer, if there's been a provision, if there's been a change in you, would you do me a favor and would you email uh, Archer, re, email Julie, or Elma? Uh, the info the Information dot, uh, at relevantlifechurch.com. There we go. dot uh, uh, net. Sorry. Yeah. Phew. I almost like go online and find it. Don't trust me. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just pastor the church. I don't know anything else. Uh, anyway, we need your wins. We would love for you to email those things. Um, and if it's if it's uh, a confidential that you would love to share with us, but you don't want it shared publicly, put that on there. But can I tell you, uh, we need to celebrate the wins. We, those are miracles. Those are that's actually a way and a form of testifying to God's goodness. And we want to testify as of His goodness. As you notice today, that empty nesters is right around the corner. It's actually next Sunday. Empty nesters is fifty and above, or those of emptiness. Uh, and so there's a season. In life, that I love that they are at- attaching to this, and we would love for you to register for that, and that's next uh, next Sunday. Uh, j- just by way of as I was looking through the calendar tonight, is Parent and Youth Night, right? I'm correct here at this building. If you if you need information, see Pastor Jesse. He was the anointed one that came up and did announce or did our transition before, um, and we all aspire to be Pastor Jesse. Right. Uh, no, we love him. He's a great addition to our team, and uh, he's doing a fantastic job with our youth, and he wants to meet with you as parents and you and your students to be able to go, this is what's happening. This is where we're going, and uh, you want to, if you don't know him very well, because he is new to us, him and Kendra are new to us, uh, and uh, make, tonight is a night to to come and become his best friend, all right? Um, anyway, just in a couple of weeks, I just wanna call this out, it wasn't on our announcement, but we have a special, special service coming up February 5th. Um, Pastor Bethany Shelton, if you are familiar with her, she was on staff for many years with us here and stepped off of staff. Uh, God has redirected her path and redirecting her steps. She's, they still attend Relevant Life Church, but uh, she's stepping into a brand new ministry, Chi, Chi Alpha. It's a college-based ministry, and she's going to be serving on the Oregon State University campus currently. Um, but we're her first church that she's going to come and itinerate at, and we want to come and hear her passion, hear her burden, and get behind her and pray for her. But we don't want to just do that uh, in relationship. We also want to do it practically, and so we're gonna, it's going to be a day that we're going to ask for your money to help support her. And uh, what an opportunity, what a privilege. We love her, and we want—we believe in her giftings and her skill sets. Uh, again, thank you for coming this morning. Today we're in a series of Love Where You Live. Everyone say it with me. Love Where You Live. Uh, we've been dialoguing this concept of loving not the house that we live in, but the city that God has placed us in. Uh, there's three questions that are overarching in this series, as we've been in it for three weeks, um, that have... Taken us on a journey that we're going to continue to come back for the next several weeks as we are in this is number one is why do you live where you live why do you live where you live many times we give ourselves more power and authority than we really have and we think well I moved to Salem because I chose to go to Salem and I have a job in Salem and I want to uh, point us back to this thing called the sovereignty of God that I believe that God is over all things and this it's this where a supreme power is ordering your life. How many can come today and realize that God has ordered your life in some fashion, that God's directed your steps, and that there is a God that is bigger than you, even though you may not always realize it? And uh, so, this concept that we, why do you live where you live? And hopefully, you're going to come back to the fact that, no, God has called you to the city. God's placed you where you live, whether that is in Salem, in Oregon, whether it's a surrounding city, or maybe you're visiting today, and we welcome you in that, in, with, with that concept. Today, uh, also, the second question is, how do you feel? Everyone say feel. How many know that we can be run by our feelings, that many times we can be mad and we, it, taints everything we can do. We can be happy, and it can taint everything we can do. We can be dissatisfied, and it can taint everything we do. How do you feel about where you live? What we're wanting to do is get you to a place of realizing whatever it might be that you're experiencing in the place that you're living is that it's also tainting how you see it and how you view it, and uh, we're not saying fix yourself. We're saying, would you come and let God fix you, all of us have those areas, am I not correct? You know, I can drive across town and I can be frustrated or angry or disgusted, but I can tell you, as you heard last week, I love Salem. I know that God has placed me here, and I can see the many, many diamonds. Last question that we have is, what would would or could happen if, everyone say if. What could happen if you were to truly Love where you live. What would happen in your behavior? What would happen in your actions? What would happen in all that we do when we think about the city of Salem? We looked at Acts chapter 1-8, which is the overarching passage of Scripture. But you, everyone say you. Turn to your neighbor and say you. It says you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When we sang songs this morning, we sang songs to the Holy Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, would you transform me? Holy Spirit, would you change me? Because why? We believe in the, the, the third head of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit has a power in our life to do something in us. And so when we come, it says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was the Holy Spirit just sitting down over here, whatever it was. Anyway, in that passage of Scripture, we see four phases. Phase number one was personal transformation. And as I've repeated and will continue to repeat, I have no power to transform my heart. You have no power to transform your heart, and you have no power to transform my heart, and I have no power to transform your heart. It really does come back to the song that I will make room for you. And today, this is my surrender. Can I tell you, it's a heart surrender that we have to live in, whether you've been a follower of Christ for 50 years, or five days, or five minutes. It's a surrendering to God to say, God, I need you to transform my life. Phase number two was a home transformation, and we're going to see that as we step into a new phase in the Feb- in, yeah, first part of February there, that it's going to go into our homes and how, how our homes, how we as individuals impact our homes, but how our home, when we become famous in our home, when we become uh, impactful in our homes, our homes are going to move to the next phase, which is phase number three, our circle transformation. We're going to see how that's going to impact our jobs and our lives and the places that we frequent, and eventually, phase number four, where it's going to focus on our city. And so we're excited for this journey. We're excited that we get to do something with you and that you're on the same steps that we are. I know that I recognize that Pastor Trent and I, we have been in the preparation of this, the staff and I, we've been, we've been in the preparation of this for several months. And so some of it, it, it takes a little while. How many are feeling the tension in your life? I hope so. That's what we're here for. We're here to uh, uh, to bring dissatisfaction and torment you until the Holy Spirit can change you. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, we're we're here to give grace and mercy because you give grace and mercy to us. Uh, This journey of the living, living, loving where you live begins with you and God. That's where it all begins. This personal transformation. The, the reality is this, this, this is all about God inside of you. That's where it comes down to. So where you're at, where you're at in your attitudes, where you're at in your demeanor, where you're at in your positioning, where you're at in your thought process is the journey that you're taking, and it's, it, it's, it reveals should reveal to you where God is placed in your life, what God is doing in your life, what God is speaking in your life. The question that I want to open today's message with is this. How would someone who loves where they live, how would they respond? How would they behave? How would they be engaged? How would they speak? And how would they see? Now, I'm not going to take opportunity to go through all these different adjectives and words that we've looked at in this question. But the overarching concept is if you truly loved where you live and you believe that God has placed you here, how is it going to change your life? What is your life going to look like? What is it going to be? You would say, well, Pastor Kevin, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not there. Well, can I tell you, none of us are perfect in any of these. We're all on a journey, and that's the challenge this morning, that the Holy Spirit would point out areas in your life, bring conviction in your life, bring change in your life, because I can't change you, only the Holy Spirit can. Okay, so today, the challenge today is that we would take off old lenses, take off old ways of looking at things, and allow God to give us his lens. God, today, I pray that through the power of your word, you would help us to see what you see. Help us to see what you see in us. Help us to to see what you see uh, for Relevant Life Church. But God, as we are on this topic of loving where we live, help us to see what you see in Salem, Oregon. See in Dallas, Oregon, see in Silverton, Oregon, see in whatever city it is that we may be coming from. Holy Spirit, would you work in us today in Jesus' name? Today, uh, we think of this concept seeing is believing. Everyone say, seeing is believing. We've, we've heard that phrase before, and that concept of this is that you need to see something before you can accept that it really exists. How many are one of those seeing, believing type people? Someone can tell you a story, and you're like going, no, I have to see it before I'm going to believe it. You're that Thomas in the Bible, when, Peter's, when Thomas comes and goes, no, I don't believe that he's resurrected, I have to see it. I have to be able to touch those nail scar hands, and i got to put my finger in the side to go, no, that's you, Jesus. Uh, and some of us in this room, that's who we are. Some of us have to see it before we believe it. And I think, not that that's wrong, today God has given us, has blessed each of us with five senses. We have the sense of hearing. How many are thankful that you can hear? We have the sense of tasting, we have the sense of touching, we have the sense of smelling, and we have this sense of seeing. And I ask you today, are you thankful that you can see? Are you thankful that you have the ability of sight? We often don't value seeing like we should until we can't. I realize in my life that much of my life has been, uh, been overarched by needing glasses or some type of eye correction to be able to see correctly. Anybody in this room have, have to wear some type of eye correction lenses? What would it be like if we weren't able to see? It would be darkness. Many people describe uh, blindness as black or gray or even a bright light. There's a no understanding or a recognition of colors. There's no ability to see trees. There's no ability to see mountains or lakes or oceans. There's no ability to see fields. No ability to see the face of individuals that we love. No ability to see the cityscape. No ability to watch TV. No ability to look at social media. Just think about what you would be limited by if you could not see. You wouldn't be able to drive. You would have to learn a whole new fashion of reading. What does seeing do for your life? What is this ability, this sense that we have of of sight, what does it do for our lives? Again, we won't we oftentimes don't appreciate it or value it until we've lost it in some way. We don't see the 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 what the the blessing that it brings. When we think about glasses, the first inventor inventor of wearable glasses is unknown, but however, Romans first discovered the ability to use glass to enhance their ability to see small text, creating uh, small personal magnifying glasses with spheres. Later in the 1300s, Italian monks were the first to craft semi-shaped ground lenses using a quartz called barrel. Shortly after, there in Italy as well, there was a factory that was created that was able to manufacture soft glass essential to manufacture lenses. These glasses, called reading aids, had convex ground lenses. The edge was made of iron, horn, or wood, and these first glasses were used exclusively to enable farsighted individuals to be able to read. Later, the first eyeglass frames were made by Spanish craftsmen in the 1600s. They affixed ribbons or silk or strings to the frame and looped them over their ears. The, ty- the, the new types of eyeglasses were brought to China by Spanish and Italian missionaries, and instead of making loops, the Chinese attached metal, uh, metal weights to strings to hold them on. The modern style of eyeglass frames, which could be placed over the ears and nose, were invented in 1727 by British optician Edward Scarlett. These early eyeglasses had glass lenses uh, set into heavy frames of wood, lead, or copper. Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, is who, uh, he, he created, credited is credited to the invention of bifocals. He would take two pieces of glass, two, two lenses, and actually put them in the same frame, Say Sir George Biddle, an English astronomer, astronomer and mathematician, invented glasses to correct astigmatism in 1827. Finally, in the 1980s, wow, in some of our life periods, I just barely hit that crux there. In the 1980s, there were plastic lenses that were introduced. I tried to find my graduation picture from high school so you could see me rocking my lenses back then, but God spared me and I couldn't find it. (laughs) They were introduced, offering a more durable alternative to glass. The Vision Council of America claims that almost 75% of adults worldwide wear some type of eye correction. Today, when we think about this... I'm thankful that someone has created something that I can actually see that enhanced my vision. Uh, What a a privilege, what a blessing that is. For most of my life, I've been dependent on sight enhancement, uh, whether that was glasses, uh, then the contacts, back to glasses, then the contacts, and eventually uh, LASIK surgery, which was a miracle in itself. Several... A de- several upgrades in LASIK surgery in my life and finally went back in in my early 50s and said, hey, I, I need another upgrade. And he's going, no, actually, you don't necessarily need LASIK. You need uh, to get your cataracts removed. Uh, so we come to this idea of cataracts. And cataracts, if you're familiar, familiar with, I, I, I mean, I had to go through the whole thing to get courage enough. I had LASIK, so I knew what it was for them to mess with my eye. But I had to go in and go, am I going to be willing to let them go in and pull something out and put something new in? How many many in the room have had cataract surgery? Uh, You're going to understand what I'm talking about. There was a season in life after the LASIK surgery was there that I began to, I could still see, but everything was cloudy. I noticed that vibrancy of colors was gone, and I can tell you that it was a slow, gradual process. How many realize that sometimes that that slow, gradual process, and you grow accustomed to it going, oh, well, that's just my eyesight, that's just what's happening? And eventually, rather than just the colors getting muted, things began to become shadowed and blurry. And we can see in this picture, go to the, we can see in the picture kind of stuff like this that you're beginning to see and it begins to impact. And I can tell you this, that cataracts don't self-correct themselves. They don't self-correct themselves. There's actually a, a procedure and a process that has to happen. This co- kind of idea is that inside our eyes, there's a natural lens. The lens bends, retracts light uh, rays that come into the eye to help us see. The lens should be clear like the top lens But if there's a cataract, it becomes cloudy like the bottom lens. Eyesight becomes distorted. And many times in our eyesight becoming distorted, even in eyeglass correction, we sometimes go, well, we don't know what we don't know. We don't understand. We can eventually begin to see that there's something that's hindering our sight, but we don't know what we don't know. But I can tell you this, that after I got to the place of realizing I don't want the fuzzy anymore, I don't want them muted anymore. I had to make a personal decision to go, am I willing to go through the process to do this? I went in, had the procedure done in one eye, and I can tell you instantaneously, I walk outside and immediately green was green and blue was blue and fuzzy was no longer there. It didn't take a while for it to adjust. It was immediate. How many recognize the immediacy of it? Can I tell you that that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives? That many times we get, we get numbed, we get apathetic, we get comfortable with what we're seeing. And today when we come to this topic this morning of seeing as believing, it's not just the fact of seeing as believing, but I'm going to actually, the title of my message is seeing and believing. Because sometimes we're going to hear and we need to believe, and sometimes we're going to see and we need to believe. And the Holy Spirit wants to come and do spiritual cataract surgery on us today. This journey that you and I are taking of loving where we live is a process. But can I tell you that the Holy Spirit this morning can come and change our lens from cloudy to clear? And how many are willing for Him to do that in our lives? Holy Spirit, we ask that you do that to us in Jesus' name. You probably can see where I'm going. Obviously today we see and we understand and we understand the importance of the natural eye. But today I want to talk about the spiritual eye. All throughout Scripture we can see references... References to the natural eye as well as to the spiritual eye. And I just want to give you a few of those scriptures. Mark chapter 8, verse 25 says this. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. First of all, he had spit on them. I mean, I mean, I don't know if I would have wanted to get my cataracts removed by my doctor spitting in my eye here let me spit in your eye i mean a little bit a little bit absurd right a little bit weird jesus had spit in his eye and prayed for him and he, he says well i can i can see figures i can see things outlines of things and jesus goes well that's not enough i want to heal this today you may be able to see outlines but the holy spirit wants to come and bring instantaneous healing to you he wants you to be able to see what he sees Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Matthew 6, 22, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Can I tell you that it's self-deception of what we see oftentimes with our eyes, what we perceive, is what we believe. And go, The Holy Spirit's coming and going, no, your eye is a lamp to your body. If you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to be the window in which you're seeing, you're deceiving yourself. It's going to taint everything you do. 2 Kings chapter 6, then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, everyone say behold. behold. Can I tell you, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, it is a behold moment. Whether it's a moment in you that goes, Oh, woe is me, I am a sinner. Or it's a moment that you go, Wow, I see a need there's a behold moment. Psalms 119 says, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. Can I tell you that many times we don't even see God the way we should? Many times we are so apathetic and caught up in our physical senses that we don't step back to go, God, you are majestic. That God, you are good. That you are merciful. Last one is Acts, or Ephesians after 1, verse 18. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The eyes of your heart. What a picture. The eyes of your heart enlightened that you would be able to see, that you might know what is the hope for, to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Seeing and believing, seeing is having the vision, seeing the, the ability to see and believing is, is accepting something that is true. Today, when we hear the word of God, we can, we can see the words, we can see God functioning in what he's doing, we have the ability to see, there's an understanding of what we're reading, but can I tell you the believing moment there is coming and going, no God, I accept those words, and God, I'm going Im- I'm to implement those words. And that's where we're at this morning. I want to take a journey for the next few moments, and I want to talk about a story of a man who encountered a circumstance, encountered a situation, and his eyesight was changed through hearing a story from somebody else. This man is Nehemiah. Nehemiah as a book, if, you're underst- if you know that there's Ezra and Nehemiah, and they're actually one book that's split into two written in the same time period. They're one idea. There are actually three leaders throughout these books. Zerubbabel was a governor of Israel. Ezra was the, was the religious leader emphasizing the rebuilding of the temple and having proper worship. And Nehemiah was the one that was appointed to rebuilding the walls of the city. They were all given this project, and the king, uh, that they were under, the sovereign, under uh, sovereignly by God placing them there, Assigns them with the rebuilding of this great city, uh, the city of Jerusalem. They were uh, very accessible. Uh, they, they were very, me, very successful, but they, were, they experienced much opposition. As they complete the project, they realize that the heart of the people of Jerusalem was not fully fully engaged in what God was doing. They accomplished the task that was needed, but the hearts of the people weren't transformed. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been there where you've accomplished something? but your heart hasn't been transformed. You get to the end of the year and go, I read through the Bible in a year, and you still have all the skank that's hanging on your life. We accomplish things. We can set our mind to accomplishing, but we need the Holy Spirit to work in us. Let me just tell you this story real quickly and overarching in a paragraph. Nehemiah was a Jew. He was the cupbearer to the king. The problem was that the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins, and Nehemiah finds out, and it breaks his heart. So he goes to the king and says, I want to fix the walls. And the king says, yeah, go do it. Not only am I going to let you go do it, but I'm going to fund the project. And he miraculously sets out on this journey. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem, gathers the people together, and in 52 days, 52 days, he rebuilds a wall that has been torn down for over 140 years. The hand of God. The hand of God. The story is written by Nehemiah himself. It's much like a journal writing, much like a daily entry that he's putting forth here. But the backstory story is this. In 586 B.C., 150 years or 140 years earlier than this story takes place, Babylon comes in and takes and conquers Jerusalem. They destroy the city. They destroy many of the people and they look for the people who have influence, the people that are the best, the smartest, the most gifted, and they go in and they take those people out of the country. I don't know about you, but does that make you a little bit insecure if you're left in Jerusalem? I mean, do you want to be hauled off to Babylon or do you want to be left there going, okay, obviously you're not the smart one. You're ugly. He's handsome. You're, you're not gifted. They are. Babylon came in and they made a division line and they said, we're going to take those people that have the best and they, they exiled them. It was this exile where they took them back and they took them and put them in primary places in Babylon in their government. That's what Babylon did. They would go in and they'd invade territories. They would conquer kingdoms and they would take their best and they would utilize it in their kingdom. So now 140 years later, what you have to understand is that Nehemiah or Ezra, but primarily Nehemiah, they were born in captivity. They'd never been to Israel. They'd never been to Jerusalem. They didn't know what the city looked like. All they knew was what they had heard and what they're going to hear. It was all by hearsay, it was all by tradition, it was all by maps of what a a parent or someone would have entrusted them with and said, you know, when I was growing up, Nehemiah, this is what happened, and you know, this is what the wall looked like, and these were the gates that were there. All Nehemiah's understanding was what he had been told, what he had heard. Nehemiah being able to see with his imagination, he began to place gates in certain locations and associate smells and sounds with a thriving, vibrant city called Jerusalem. In the first verses of of Nehemiah chapter 1, we're told that his brother comes to visit him. Nehemiah's brother Hanani had left Babylon, had gone back to Jerusalem, and now he's coming back to Babylon to give Nehemiah a report. And everything that Nehemiah had imagined had taken place that the walls were rebuilt and the city was vibrant. All of a sudden, Hanani comes in and begins to give him this report to go, Nehemiah, the city is in ruins. The walls are still in in disaster in heaps and in piles. The blackberry bushes have grown over all the stub rubble. If you're in Oregon, that's my part of the story. Everything that Nehemiah had imagined had taken place, the reality set in, and the city of Jerusalem was still in ruins. Can I tell you that many times we are in this space of where Nehemiah was? We have a mind's eye that we think that we know what it looks like. We can drive through the city of Salem. We can, no, it's okay. No, you know, it's actually better than it is. I want you to realize today that the Holy Spirit wants to open your eyes for you not just to see the diamonds of this great city, but for you to also see the ruins of this city. The purpose of the ruins, the purpose of us understanding is that we have to grasp the gravity of destruction. Nehemiah only heard of this destruction. He didn't have the ability to see it in person. Back then, there were not this privilege of photographs. They didn't have the Polaroid camera back then. They didn't have digital camera. They didn't have the iPhone. He couldn't come and see the pictures. It was what Hannah and I had, had to come and describe to him. But Nehemiah saw it through the eyes of someone else. But most importantly, Nehemiah saw it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit began to do something in his life. I find it interesting that Nehemiah's first response is he sat down and he wept. And we're going to see that in just a second. But easy responses of Nehemiah could have been anger, could have been apathy, could have been it's someone else's fault, it could have been judgment. Why isn't someone doing something about this? And Nehemiah has to step to a place of going, no, God, I need you to do something in me. And he began to weep over it. George Bernard Shaw says this, the worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. This is the essence of inhumanity. Today, when we step back and we begin to think about the city of Salem, you're going, Pastor Kevin, you're getting a little bit too close to home. When we step back and we drive down the streets of Salem and we shift into apathy or we shift into going, well, someone needs to fix this, can I tell you, that's the essence of inhumanity. That's the essence of going, I don't, I'm not going to lower myself to that level. Many of us like to go through life thinking ignorantly and going, oh, well, if I don't know it, what i don't know doesn't hurt me i mean how many know that, that that's a false statement there's many people in the tomb someplace that they didn't know what was going to hurt them many people today from ignorance die or live in apathy aldous huxley says this facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored today We hear the story of Nehemiah, it didn't fix his self just because he ignored it, or just because he blissfully thought something was different. We have to come and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the truth. Holy Spirit, reveal to me the ruin. Help me to see what it is that is taking place. Seeing and believing. Nehemiah, as he came, he still didn't get to see, but he began to pray and began to intercede, and he began to believe. He began to feel something. Today, I want to show us three things that take place in our lives when we see and believe. Number one, we have to feel it. What, we have to feel what we see. When the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives, we have to be willing to embrace that with our heart. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1-4 through four says, In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year while I was in, in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. He didn't, paint, he didn't try to paint a picture of goodwill and happiness. He says, no, they're in trouble. They're in disgrace. Can I tell you today, as I drive across Salem, I see the diamonds, but can I tell you, we as people, we as a, as a city are in trouble and there is disgrace upon us. Not because God has appointed it to us, but because the enemy, Satan, has caused disgrace and trouble. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. What I love about this passage of Scripture, it wasn't a quick moment of of emotion that you weep as your tears kind of fall as you're driving across town. No, it says that he wept, and for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I ask you today, have you ever had a situation in your life that you have cried for days over it? Has there been a moment of grieving in your life? A moment of self realization, a moment of others' realization that you felt the impact emotionally. That's what Nehemiah is talking about. And he felt it over a city that he had never seen. He felt it over a city. It was a supernatural emotion. It was not just something that he heard a story about, but God did something deep within him. I ask you today what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart for this city? Nehemiah's heart was broken for Jerusalem. He was broken for his people. It was broken for his heritage. Many times we want to numb our emotions, but studies have proven that if you numb your emotion to bad things, you're not, your emotions cannot be selective. You're not just numb your emotions for bad things. you numb your emotions for good things. And emotions help us feel alive. Emotions bring joy to us. Emotions cause us to realize the gravity that we are this sensory produced person just like Jesus was, a man of humanity. Someone in this room may be saying, well, Pastor Kevin, I don't have to feel. I don't, I, I don't struggle with feeling. Can I tell you, if you're one that feels a lot, you can sit apathetically atrophied in your feelings without doing anything about it. So the equal challenge, if you're, if you're emotionless or if you're too emotional, there's still something for us to take. Warren Wearsby says this, our tears water the seeds of providence. Our tears water the seeds of providence that God has planted on our path. And without our tears, those seeds could never grow and produce fruit. When we go back to the story of Nehemiah, it was his tears that were providentially put there. The, the path that he was on that God says, no, by my sovereignty, you are going to be a man who is in a position such as this. I have a future and I'm directing your steps, but, there is, but your tears are going to water these seeds that are here. It's going to be through your life through your tears, through your caring, through your ability to see, for, through your heart that's gonna actually bring life transformation and it's gonna produce fruit. Can I tell you today, if, if in this 100 people that are in this room, can I tell you that each of us, if we would get on our knees and begin to weep over the seeds that are on this path that you and I are on, can you imagine the fruit as a result? Can you imagine of what God would do with your tears in your heart? Question, are you willing to feel God's heart for Salem? Are you willing to feel the heart of God? Point number two, we have to own it. We don't just have to feel it, we have to own it. Gandhi is credited with this phrase. He says, be the change you want to be. Be the change you want to be. We can't stop at feeling. We can't stop at the emotion. We have to come in and go, how do I bring a difference? Can I tell you that God's called you, appointed you to make a difference where you live, where you work, where you shop, where you drive, where you recreate? You own the problems, but you also need to own the solutions. Nehemiah chapter one, in verses five and seven, says this. Then I said, "Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keeps His commandments, let Your ear be attentive and Your eyes open to the, to hear the prayers Your servant is now praying." He says, "I." Everyone say, "I." He says, "I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself." and my father's family have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. We're talking 150 years later. Nehemiah is coming upon a scene, and he's finally going, I feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. God, forgive me for the last 150 years. God, forgive me. And you say, can I, t- isn't that, many of us come back and go, well, I wasn't even alive, it's not my fault. I didn't do that. Isn't that our humanity that we begin to defend ourselves? There's a humility in Nehemiah to come and go, no, I'm going to own this. God, I confess my sins. I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. This why idea of confession comes and says, I'm part of the problem. Saying the truth out loud about where you are. Notice your part. You come back and you say, I haven't done anything. Can I tell you that there are two types of sin? The sins of commission and the sins of omission things that we deliberately do, attitudes that we carry and we're aware of. But the sins of omission are those that we ought to do and we don't do. The behaviors that we should step in and we kind of sometimes pass it off of going, well, God, would you burden someone's heart for that? You know, God, that's not my skill set. That's not my gift. God, you know, that's just not me. But there is someone out there. God, I just pray that you'd help them. Nehemiah is coming back and going, no, I own it. I own it. I can be frustrated with the Israelites that are in Jerusalem going, why hasn't there? What we don't, I haven't told you in the story is that the Israelites had been back in Jerusalem for almost 100 years. They'd almost, they, they had already been freed from Babylon, and those had already gone back. So for over 100 years, people had been living there, apathetic, defeated, overcome, Accepting the broken walls. Can I ask you, where have you been overwhelmed and defeated and accepting, rather than stepping in going, "No, it's partially my fault here. I need to own this." He came to a place of confession, but he also came to a place of repentance. He says, "I'm a part of the solution. I'm not just going to expect those people to do something. I'm going to do something. Repentance is an action word. It's 180 degree turning, a movement, of, of, a change of heart, but it's a movement of your feet. Because I know I'm part of the problem, I can be part of this solution. If I don't think I'm part of the problem, people won't believe when I want to be part of the solution. Can I tell you that many times we as Christians or whatever, when we, have it all, when we think we have it all together, we can come into a situation and go, okay, you guys have made a mess of this. Let me save you. Can I tell you? No, they need to know, I, I, I'm part of this problem. How do we work together to fix this? I broke it just as much as you have broke it. Question, are you willing to own the problem and the solutions of where you live? Are you willing to feel it? Are you willing to own it? And lastly, this morning, we have to pray for it. Praying has to be priority. Psalms 127 says this, unless, everyone say unless, unless Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Vain is good intent, but no gravity. Good intent, but no traction. Can I ask you this morning, how many times have you began to try to do something in and of yourself and it gains no traction? The idea of transforming yourself, you try to go, okay, I'm going to transform myself. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do and blah, blah, blah. Reality is, is three years later, you're the same person because you've not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord, unless we turn to the one who can fix it, It's not going to be fixed. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Remember the instruction in his prayer. Remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if you are exiled people and are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place in my name. Can I tell you, this is like Scripture come to pass. This was prophetic. This was Moses that wrote this intentional, or first part back in Deuteronomy going, if you do these things, this is what I'm going to do. And Nehemiah's coming back going, Moses said these things. You spoke these things to Moses. Now, God, I'm coming and I'm reminding you of what you said. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man." I love this, because you come back going, God, remember? Isn't that what prayer is? God, remember your word says. God, remember. God, remember me. God, would you have mercy on me? God, remember that Jesus died on the cross for me, and I'm I'm a heinous sinner, but God, you promised forgiveness and mercy. God, remember this thing in our lives that we've got to come back and we need to connect the faithfulness of God to the crisis. God doesn't need to be reminded, but can I tell you, you need to be reminded. As you pray it, as you remember, as you say those words, you're going, no, it's not based upon Kevin and Kevin's faithfulness. It's based upon God and his faithfulness. It's based upon his mighty power and his right hand. God, I don't need to get wrapped up in what I'm doing. God, guide me in what you're doing. That's basically what he's come back and going. He's come, I mean, we could all pray, God, would you send someone to Jerusalem? God, would you do? And God's going, no, I don't want you just to pray ideas out there. I want you to join me on the journey. Can I tell you right now, you may not be aware of it, but the Holy Spirit is actively working in the city of Salem. Right now, God is alive in this city. God is doing something. God is redeeming. God is transforming. Many times we don't see it because our eyes are calloused. Because we're, we're in this cataract stage that we're not seeing the Holy Spirit do. The Scottish novelist George MacDonald said this, in whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably Or succeed miserably. Can I tell you, sometimes we pride ourselves in our abilities. And in God's eyes, it's failure. Even when we succeed, it's failure. Why? Because He wants to be the star of the story. Why? Because He is the Redeemer of mankind. And just like I said earlier, you have no ability to transform. We can come in and we can change things. We can make a difference. But when we go to the heart and depth of people's lives, the heart and depth of a city, it takes the all-powerful God, the problem solver, to step in and to be invited in, to flow in your life and to flow through your life. Last question, are you willing to pray and intercede regularly for where you live? seeing, and believing. We need to feel it, we need to own it, we need to pray for it. As I close, you say, well, Pastor Kevin, I'm struggling today, loving where I live. How many would be honest to say you're struggling? Would you be transparent enough to help? I'm, I'm struggling, there's times I struggle. Can I tell you how there's times I struggle? I'm struggling where I live. First of all, this morning, I'm gonna ask that you're gonna endeavor to allow the Holy Spirit for you to unlearn what you think you know. Many of us know things, but in reality, it's what we think we know, not the reality. Unlearning what we think we know, number two is asking God to expand our vision. God, would you help me to see what you see? God, would you spiritually do a work in my eyesight? Would you remove the cloudiness God, would you enhance? Maybe you're here going, I don't see a stinking diamond in this city. All I see is trash. And God needs to come in and go, well, no, here it is. And this is a big one. Rather than stepping back and criticizing, rather than stepping back and going, I don't see it, would you find somewhere to invest your time, talent, and your treasure? Today, if you're a part of Relevant Life Church, if you're not part of Relevant Life Church, we actively give to organizations in our community, Salem Leadership Foundation, Union Gospel Mission. There's a list of things that we give to, why? Because we may not be able to minister like they do, but we're gonna support what they do. And as we invest, as we give, as, I, as Ron and I personally give to some of these organizations through Relevant Life Church, That money represents a heartbeat that God begins to change in us. If you already love where you live, maybe today you're going, Pastor Kevin, this isn't for me. I love Salem and I see everything that's good and I'm actively involved. There's still something for you to do. I'm gonna ask that you're gonna keep a journal that God will reveal in your heart and in your life areas of brokenness and areas that you need to pray for and areas that you need to step into. You need to be a model of what you see of what you want to see. Be the change you want that you want it to be. If you love where you live, get involved and start to make a difference. Be that change. Would you commit to stay involved, stay in it, persevere? And I think just as equally as important, would you invite someone along on the journey with you? Can I tell you that we don't do this as individuals? You're not here alone going, how do I change the city of Salem? You're here as a group of people going, how do we change the city of Salem? Holy Spirit, would you work in my life? Today, as we come to a conclusion, as we come to the end of this message, the commitment that we continue to go back to, if you have, don't have this pamphlet, it's back on the chair as you, as you are on the, the uh, welcome booth as you come in. Go, would you go to the commitment slide for me, please, right here? Would you read this with me this morning? I want us to continue to get this in our lives. This is where we're asking you Let's read it together, one, two, three. I commit to not complain, sit on the sidelines, or wish I was somewhere else. Instead, I pray, Jesus, may your kingdom come, and your will be done in Salem as it is in heaven. God, today, as we bow our heads across this room, I'm trusting that the work of your Holy Spirit has already begun to nudge. If you're in this room this morning and you're struggling with feeling the city of Salem, if you're struggling with owning the issues in Salem, if you're struggling with praying for the city of Salem, would you just raise your hands today, not before me, but before God, across this room, come on. If, you're, if you feel convicted and somehow you know that you need to and you haven't been like you should, raise your hands across this room. God, today, in the name of Jesus, you see every heart and every life, you see every hand, god today i pray that you would begin to do a deep work in our lives god open our eyes that we might see god would you remove the calluses would you remove the cataracts god would you bring clarity of vision help us to see this city as you see it that doesn't mean that we put on rose-colored glasses and we see that everything is just perfect god you see the brokenness you see the degradation you see the sin But God, you also see that you're the savior. And God, today I pray, help us to be a people, God, that will feel what you feel. Help us to own the problem and the solution. And God, bring us to a place of commitment to pray, to pray for this city. God, today I pray that as people leave this building God, as they drive across town, as they go into restaurants, Holy Spirit, Spirit, hound of heaven, would you hound their trail? God, I pray, I come against ignorance. I come against apathy. I come against chosen, chosen tolerance of. And God, I pray that you could just begin to create such a healthy tension inside of us. Help us to see that we're part of the answer, that we're part of the solution. And God, I thank you for today. In Jesus' name, And everyone said, amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, our prayer team is coming right now at this moment to pray for you. We believe in the power of of prayer, the power of laying on of hands, of sickness, and whatever it is that you might be encountering, we believe that that God heals and answers prayer. Come and let them pray for you. Remember to register and sign up for many activities that are coming around the corner. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.